Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron. I'm glad that you're with me today as we're continuing our series on following Jesus. Because how do you be a disciple of Jesus? You don't know where he's going. That's what a disciple is. We follow him. So that's what we're doing through the Gospels uh, all uh, summer long, following the, the life and the teachings of Jesus, and today we're going to be into our third year of ministry. We just finished up the Galilean ministry, which he spent a year and a half at, and today we get to continue on to his third year of ministry, and we've got a lot to cover today. Whoa, not that fast. Could you set me back on the very first slide? That would be helpful, because that would be good. But anyway, um, since we are here, uh, let's. Uh, we have a memory verse uh, that we started out with a uh, a quite a bit of a while ago, which is about, what, a month and a half we've been doing this, All right? And talking about what Jesus has for us, and he wants us to, uh, to be as his disciples, uh, what he calls us to do. And so, uh, oh, nope, nope, nope. All right, so, <laughs> so math, <laughs> are we just, what's that? One more, one more time? Hey, Matthew 16, 24. Who knows how that happened? All right, here we go. So let's say it along with me. Here we go. Three, two, one. Then Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. All right, again for me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Let's do it one more time just because it's fun. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Awesome. Now, I hope that you've had a chance like I have this summer as I've memorized this and put this in my heart that Jesus is and the Holy Spirit showing me areas that I need to deny myself and take up my cross so that I can follow him. And uh, there's been... Maybe times that you've had opportunity for that. I certainly have had this year, especially uh, walking through town and being through town and being, sometimes I feel like um, I get irritated with people when they get in my way. And I don't know if you're like that. And I realize that sometimes we have to deny ourselves. It's not about me. It's not about being selfish. And it's just that reminder sometimes that I can be okay with things being about somebody else and me being slowed down a little bit. And to take up my cross, die to myself a little bit, and that's the way that I can follow Jesus. Sometimes it's those little tiny things, and I'll tell you what, it leads to such a better life. Um, please be continuing to memorize and meditate on that and, and applying this as we follow Jesus. Now, uh, we meet in the third year of ministry, uh, part one. I'm going to call this one bread and water because there's a lot of bread and water in it. Now, if you remember last week uh, when we uh, ended, Jesus sent out his 12 disciples. At the very end of his third Galilean tour, he sends his disciples out in pairs. And they go out and they do ministry, gave them authority to do all kinds of stuff. Then they, now they come back, right? And John the Baptist, of course, was beheaded, and Jesus finds out about it. This is all happening at this time. And they meet up with Jesus in Bethsaida, which uh, is right there. Now, it's just across the lake from Capernaum. This is with the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. Now, Peter, of course, when he got married, made his hometown Capernaum, which is where Jesus' house or Peter's house is at. But that's where they were kind of based out of. And so this is where a lot of the, the, the events happen at the beginning of uh, this, today's message. So Jesus hears about John, 
And in Matthew 14, it says, uh, and not just Jesus, but the, the disciples were doing a lot of ministry, and they were getting exhausted, so the two things are happening. And it says, then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest, right? Jesus is not unaware of our needs. And, and I think it's important to realize that Jesus himself needed a time to, to have soul care as well. So he takes his disciples out to this quiet place. And where is that? Well, that's a place called Tegba, which is our Tabga, which is just uh, across the, the lake on the other side of kind of Capernaum. It's between Capernaum uh, and uh, uh, Magdala, Magdala, which is about halfway between the two of those. And this is a place where Jesus went to rest. This is actually what it looks like in today. And there's a church there called the Church of Multiplication. You'll understand why in just a moment. But I think this is interesting that this is where the God of the universe, when he created the world, he designed a space that he could go and escape to, to rest. And this is it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Now, while he was there, uh, Jesus wants to get away to a lonely place. And you saw from that map, he was just kind of skirting the, the shoreline. And people see the boat. And what do they do? They follow him. Sometimes work follows you. I don't know if you've noticed that. And it followed him to this place where his disciples were com- exhausted. It's only like a six-mile boat ride. So they had a few minutes alone. But then they get off the boat, and there's people there, and uh, they start, they, they have all these needs, and so Jesus is healing them. Everybody that's there, they're being healed, and uh, he's teaching them. And finally, it gets to be about evening, and Jesus says to his disciples, hey, uh, I, I, these people are hungry. They've been here all day. Give them something to eat. And the disciples say, Jesus, that's crazy. Do you see how many people are here? There's got to be like 10,000 people. It would take a year's worth of wages, right? We could go buy if, if we wanted to, but we don't have enough money. It would take a year's worth of wages to feed them. Jesus is like, all right, well, then show me what you got, right? And that's where we have the first miracle of today's thing. We feed 5,000 people. One of those miracles that's in all four Gospels is a pretty big event. And there's this little boy that was there as part of this group, and his mom packed him a, a lunch. And it, out of all of those thousands of people, this is the only person was this child who had a packed lunch. Good for that mom. Well, he brings it to Jesus, and the disciples there, and Jesus blesses it, and he, and he tells the disciples, make everybody sit in groups of 50. So can you imagine it's like sitting in a big old group? Right? And there'd be like another 100 to 200 groups that are there because 50,000 or 5,000 men plus women and children, so probably 10 to 15,000. So a bunch of people, five loaves, two, two fish, and Jesus blesses it, and uh, he tells his disciples to distribute it. And then we read about this, that they all ate and were satisfied, and they weren't all on a diet. Okay? They all ate to their heart's content, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. Now, thus far, Jesus healed lepers and blindness and paralysis. He, he, uh, even over distance, he was able to show his power over distance. He was able to cast out demons, even whole legions of them. They would surrender to him. He was able to raise the dead, do all that kind of stuff. But never before had he multiplied food like this and showed his provision. And this is exactly what he did. In fact, the space that it happened is right here. It's one of those places, if you get to go to Israel, and, and, and it's amazing to be there because even our guide, who isn't a Christian yet, although we pray for him, and he should be very soon, um, <laughs> he'll tell you, he'll, like, he'll say, I don't believe in, in Jesus yet, but, but this event happened here. This is in C2. We know that this miracle took place, and it took place right here. And so you have the, the, this amazing miracle on the Sea of Galilee, and thousands of people are fed. And then you have 12 baskets full left over, which is an interesting detail. 
And do you know that number 12 is significant? Remember in the Bible, there's a lot of 12s. The fullness of God's people, right? Three times four, right? So you have three is, is all of God, like three is in Scripture is God. And four is the world, all of creation, the four corners of the creation. That's what that stands for. And three times four is all of the peoples, all of God's people. That's why you have the 12, uh, at the very beginning, the 12 tribes of Israel. You have the 12 disciples, right? The apostles, right? The built upon the church. And what is God telling us here? Jesus is saying, listen, God's provision is more than enough for all of his people. It will always be enough. If you are with Christ, you have his provision. What an amazing thing. Well, the people there, they enjoyed the food, and they were like, this is, this is fantastic. We love this guy because Caesar taxes us, but this guy comes in and he feeds us, and he, doesn't get, like, he just gave us all this stuff. And so they want to make him king. They're like, you're going to be the Messiah. We're going to make you king. And Jesus says, not yet. And so he sends the crowd away. You go home. And so they go home. And he tells his disciples, he says, I need some alone time now. I've been working all day, and I did this miracle. We all had dinner. Everybody's happy. So you disciples, you get on a boat, okay? And, and I want you to, to head back to shore. I'm going to go up on the mountain and have some quiet time. And then we have the next great miracle where Jesus walks on water. Now, it was about evening time when he sends the disciples off, about 6 p.m., Right? And it tells us in the scripture that he tells the disciples to go to Bethsaida. Now, John says Capernaum, and you'll see in a map why they would say the two different things. Oh, wait, that's the next thing. All right, so he, he, they're, they're next to each other. And uh, so Jesus tits them on a boat, and it's about six miles out, and uh, Jesus saw them struggle. He saw them having a difficult time. The waves are coming against them. It was kind of lousy, and they were rowing about four miles out, which is about two-thirds of the way that they're trying to get there, and they're struggling. It's about 2 a.m. now. That's a long time to be on a boat going on a six-mile six boat ride. And it says, as they're out there struggling, they see Jesus walking past them, just strolling like boop, 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 boop. And they're freaked out because they're normal. And then they say, ah, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, not a ghost. It is me. And Peter's like, well, if it's really you, and think about this. If you think it might be a ghost, why would you say this? If it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come out there to you. And Jesus is like, well, come on out, Peter. So Peter gets out on the boat, starts walking on the water. And then he starts looking around, and there's a, kind of a storm, there's all the waves and all this, and he gets freaked out about, because he's walking on water, which isn't normal, I don't know if you noticed. And so he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to panic, and he's saying, splash! And then Jesus comes, and he picks him up out of the water, and then we read about that, he, he gets into the boat, and, uh, and, wait, that, they were frightened, and then they get into a boat, and they were completely amazed. You see that? Wouldn't you be completely amazed? And be like, what? Right? Because they did not understand their loaves and their hearts were hardened. Right? Here are the disciples. They just saw Jesus do this amazing thing. His provision is enough for all of his people. And they still thought of him as his power was somehow limited. Right? The whole fact that God can walk on water just blew their minds. Well, their eyes were being opened. Right? They didn't understand God, but they still believed in him. And then they land, and the Bible tells us they land in Gennesaret, which is surprising, because remember, they were going across the lake to the Bethsaida, where they started before, except for they ended in Gennesaret, which is back that way. It's actually not far off from where they launched. And you think that maybe God had a plan in this. Sometimes he sends you one direction so he can show you something. And then they end up back to kind of where they started in this area of Gennesaret, um, between Tigba and uh, basically close to uh, Magdala. And they, uh, once they get there, 
there's people, of course, still there wanting to be healed. Why? They just left from there. And, of course, you're hearing about, hey, Jesus is here and he's healing people all day and he had all this food. People are going to show up. And they did. And they show up in droves. And so we have a bunch of healings that can answer it. Right? And, and Mark 6, it says, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. Right? And then they ran through that whole region and carried their sick on mats and, and wherever he was. Right? And so they continued to, so Jesus continued to heal them. Of course, that was a region. So he continued to travel through the region, trying to tell people about the kingdom of God. But of course, everybody wanted to have a healing. In fact, it was a strange time in that Jesus' power was being opened to anyone who would have the faith to be healed. It said anybody who had just faith to touch his robe, they would beg him to touch his robe, and anybody who would touch it would be healed. Anyone. From anything. Which is an interesting thing about what happens in just a little bit. But Jesus is there, and, and everybody's coming to him for a healing. Right? They were looking for a genie, but they weren't really looking for a God. They didn't understand why he was there. Right? And so other people came up from... Uh, from Tiberias, which is a little bit south of a big city there. They got on their boats, they showed up, but Jesus, of course, he was already gone. He had gone all the way back to Capernaum at that point. So they searched all over that, the, around that area, and eventually they show up at Capernaum, and where do they find Jesus? He's in the synagogue, and he's teaching. And, and they say to him on this, uh, you know, why are you here? And Jesus, Jesus gives them this amazing sermon on the bread of life. In John uh, 6, it says this, because they asked him, How'd you get here? <laughs> when he was in the, sermon, in the synagogue teaching. How'd you get here? And he says, I tell you that you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, because the loaves, they ate the loaves and you had your fill. Right? The signs were to point to something, right? When you go to the Rocky Mountain National Park, there's a sign that says, hey, you're entering Rocky Mountain National Park. There's a point to that sign. Nobody drives halfway across the country to see that sign. Right? They see the sign, so it tells them where to go to actually get to their destination. Jesus was doing miracles, which were the sign, and they were to point to him. But they loved the signs. They wanted to have the fill, right? Again, they were just looking for a genie. They were looking for, for someone to just do the miracles for them. But they weren't willing to look past the sign to what it was pointing to. And so Jesus teaches them, hey, listen, we've got to get bigger than this. He says, don't work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his approval. Understand that Jesus is God and he was sent by God. If you want to get to know God and have the healing that God can bring, Jesus is the authorized agent. And he says, listen, you all looking for temporary fixes to your temporary needs. That's fine. God can provide those. But if that's your ultimate aim, you are stuffing yourself on appetizers. You're missing out on the main meal. You're missing the big deal. And he goes on and he says about this, he says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. If you want to have a filling of the soul, you come to Jesus. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He even says on that, he says, anyone who believes in me will never perish. If you believe, you can have eternal life. And he says, I'm not like the bread that you eat, that you eat, and then you get hungry again. Like Jesus satisfies once and for all time because he's infinite and eternal. He satisfies the soul. He brings life to the very center of our lives. And this is what he ultimately came to do. His provision is enough for his people, yes. But first he came that we would have spiritual life. And so he tells them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Now Jesus said this, and it was a really hard teaching because it sounds like cannibalism. And the people who were there, of course, picked up on that. 
And they're like, this is a hard teaching. Now, we understand that to be communion, but they didn't understand who God was. And so Jesus used this hard teaching to, to prune his, his followers. And there were lots of people who were following up to that point, but he said, you're going to have to eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, no, no, no. And so just because they didn't understand him, even though he had all the miracles, all the prophecies, everything like that, because they couldn't understand him, they stopped believing in him and they left. And Jesus turned to his 12 apostles and says, do you guys want to leave too? All right? And then Simon Peter says, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of life. Only you are the Holy One of God, which is another way of saying you're the Messiah. The Peter and the disciples heard this hard teaching, and like everyone else, it sounded weird and strange. They didn't understand him, but they said, we have seen enough that we're going to follow you. We're still going to believe you. We don't know what it means. We don't know everything. We don't, can't contain what you're thinking, Jesus, but we're going to follow you. And they do, which then leads to some controversy about clean and unclean things. You see, we find that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came from Jerusalem and they came on up and they were trying to kill Jesus, right? Finding a way to try to trap him. And this is a perfect time because now most of his followers had left him. They abandoned him. So strike while he's weak, right? And so what was the best thing I could come up with? Well, they tried the whole, you're breaking Mosaic law by the Sabbath and Jesus defeated that pretty soundly. So they try a different tack. You're not violating the law so much as you're violating our traditions you're not being very jewish jesus and if you're the messiah you should be more jewish right so how do they do that they say how come your disciples and you don't wash your hands before your meal this is one of our our ceremonial things you're supposed to do this right and jesus says well why you violate god's law in order to keep your little your little traditions he says you have this tradition that says you know whatever i give to my parents well that's just because they're lucky that I, I like God. I'm just being nice to my parents because of God. And yet he says, but the law of God says that you're supposed to honor your father and mother. And anybody who even curses their parents is to be put to death. It's like you, you have these rules that are in contradiction. You, these customs are in contradiction to God's ways. So why would you come to me and say, why am I not following your traditions? Your traditions are inherently corrupt, but I'm going to follow God. And so there was a little bit of controversy there, and, but Jesus defeats them again. And uh, in Matthew 15, it says, Then Jesus called the crowd to him after he had told the Pharisees this. And he says, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. He talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount as well, right? It's God's not care about us just doing the religious show. He cares about the heart. And he goes on to explain in this, he's like murder, lust, greed, envy, pride, all these things start on the inside. And then they come out in our words and our actions and that's what makes us sinful because it makes us sin. But if you want to stop the outside things, yeah, you can have a bunch of rules on the outside that will keep you from doing those things, but you'll still have all that yucky stuff on the inside. Jesus came to change the inside. God cares about the heart. And this was the end of Jesus' Galilean ministry. 18 months he spent in his homeland. And he had spent all that time there doing miracles after miracles and teachings after teachings. And all the times he sent himself and his, his disciples out and they did all these things. And to the very end of it, they still couldn't accept him. They couldn't believe because they couldn't fit God into their box. Jesus didn't just, he didn't act like a Messiah was supposed to do what they thought. And so they kept coming to him for his miracles, but they wouldn't come to him for worship. And so Jesus stops focusing on the mass, and he starts focusing on the 12, those who would follow. 
And so he heads up to Tyre and Sidon, which is in Syrophoenicia, which is uh, Gentile territory, by the way. And that's a nice long walk away from all the, the stuff that was there. And he gets away with his disciples, and he has some time to talk with them. He gets to these two pagan cities, and while he's there, he heals the daughter of a, uh, a demoniac daughter of a Gentile woman. She's a Canaanite woman, right? And she comes to Jesus, and she begs him, heal my daughter. She's got uh, a demon in her, and she's suffering. And Jesus said to her, dear woman, I didn't come to help the Gentiles. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. Now he's starting to sound like a Messiah, right? The, I'm sure the disciples were like, yes, finally. And she says, but Lord, aren't even dogs allowed to eat the scraps from the table? Now, a dog was a derogatory term that Jewish people would use for Gentiles. I think they still do today. And you have this, this woman saying, I get it. I'm not in the tribe, but can I still be can I, can I still have just the leftovers, the scraps you're here, would you please? And Jesus was moved by this, and he says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. You see, here's this woman in this Gentile territory, far, far from God, but had seen enough to know and believe that he had power and came to him, and Jesus didn't turn away one was faithful, and she believed after this, Jesus leaves Tyre and Sidon, and we see that he goes and feeds 4,000 in Decapolis. Well, that's quite a ways away. He had to walk all the way back down through Atyria, down to Decapolis, which is a region on, that, on the, west, or the eastern shore of the, on the Sea of Galilee Prig area. It was 10 big cities that were Roman cities. Again, Jesus skirts the Jewish areas again because now he's spending time with the 12. And there's a reason for long walks and long talks and time with the Lord. And he gets down there, and he starts teaching, and a lot of people came out. Now, remember, this is the same area where Jesus had uh, just cast out a whole legion of demons into pigs. And remember what the people asked him to do when he'd done that? They were like, please leave because you're bad for business and we're terrified of you. This is that same area. Remember what Jesus told one of those, those demoniacs after he healed him? The demoniac said, hey, can I come with you? And Jesus said, no, go back and tell people who I am. Well, that guy must have done a good job because when Jesus shows up on this on this Gentile shore, all of a sudden there's crowds all over and they start meeting with him and Jesus is out in the middle of the wilderness and they just keep coming and he's healing them and he's casting out demons and he's, he's, he's taking care of them and he's teaching them. And it says in scripture that as this happened, they all started to say, praise the God of Israel. This is significant because this isn't Jewish territory. These, these were the people who thought they were better than the Jewish people. These were the Romans. This is the capitalists. Right? This was the height and the arrogance of Rome. And right there in their own area, they recognized the God of the Israel was the one true God, the God who could provide, the God who could come, the God who would love them enough to heal them. And they began to praise God, which was the whole point of Jesus' coming. And so in Matthew 15, it says, Jesus is called a disciple and says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat. When was the last time you went three days without food? But these people were so enthralled with Jesus, they spent three days with him. And he says, I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And so we see another, another great miracle, feeding of the 4,000. And it's very similar to feeding the 5,000. Right? Except for this time, it's with the Gentile audience. Isn't that interesting? And he feeds them, sits them around, and, and they, they sit around and they have, a, they have a, what, uh, seven loads and a few fish. 
And Jesus has it in the groups, and they break it off, and when they're done, they have seven baskets full of food. You think seven might be an important number in this? And what is seven? Of course, in Scripture, we see that. God's perfection for this world is just like three times four, all of God's people, 12, three plus four. It, it, this is God's perfection in this universe, this, this creation. It's what God has. Seven is God's perfect uh, perfection in this world. And God is showing him, you may not have been his people yet, but you fall under the provision of this wonderful God. It was the foretaste of Pentecost. How cool is that? They had seven baskets full left. Well, they get back on the boat after that, uh, and uh, he sent away, get on the boat, and they go to this area that's uh, Damanutha, and it's, where is that? Well, it's on the other shore where he had kind of just gotten off. It's a little bit further south than where he was at before. It was near Migdal, and uh, when he gets off the boat, he has a conflict with an unholy coalition, right? He's met by Pharisees and Sadducees who didn't like each other, and I don't have time to explain why, but go get yourself a Bible dictionary. Realize it was like Democrats and Republicans. They just didn't like each other, right? They were like... Uh, Presbyterians and Pentecostals, right? They just didn't get together. They didn't like each other, and yet they were like, we have a common enemy. Now we find also the Herodians were in there too, and that was a much more political party, and they thought the Messiah was going to come and be part of Herod's line and all that. Well, they get together, and they, they try to trap Jesus again, and even though he had done a significant number of miracles, crowds were coming to him, he was healing people, you could walk through the streets and say, hey, do you know somebody who Jesus healed? And people would be like, yes. Right? He was very significant. What do they ask Jesus for? Give us a sign. It's like, I don't know, feeding 5,000? You remember that? Or how about raising a widow's son? You remember that? Or all the blind people who can now see and the deaf people who can hear and all that kind of stuff, maybe? But he doesn't say that. Jesus, he says he sighed deeply. Can you imagine? After all of this, he spent all this time away from them. As soon as he gets back, the first thing they want is a sign. They don't want to be like, you are clearly from God. What do you want? That would have been the right solution. But they're like, show us another sign so we can believe. It's like, it says, why does this generation ask for a sign? I tell, truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. See, Jesus is not our show pony. He is God. Right? They had more than enough to believe. God has shown us more than enough to believe. So Jesus gets back on his boat, and he's done with his ministry there, and he heads back to Bethsaida. Now, on his boat ride back, the disciples, who had just had 4,000 people fed, right, and they didn't take enough bread. They took one loaf, right, with them, and they get on the boat, and Jesus is on this boat back, and, of course, he's in a sour mood because of what had happened, and he says, listen, you disciples, be wary of the yeast of the Pharisees. And they're thinking, oh, man, Jesus knows we only brought one loaf of bread. And Jesus like, he knows what they're thinking, and he says, do you guys not get it? Do you not remember I fed 5,000 people with a fish sandwich and the same thing 4,000 on the other side? I think this loaf of bread will be enough. And then says, ah, and then they got it. Yeast was talking about the, the teachings of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were teaching that God had to be a certain way, that the Messiah had to act a certain way, which God never told that he revealed himself to have to do. This, this teachings that would so permeate their lives and all this stuff that would color Jesus in a wrong way that would lead to disbelief. He says, be careful of that. And they understood. So they get back to Bethsaida, and then Jesus heals a blind man. This is weird, though, because he'd done this a lot, but in two steps. This guy in Bethsaida brings to Jesus, and, and Jesus takes him aside, and he spits on his eyes, and, right? And then he places his hands there, and he prays, and he says, all right. Can you see? And the guy says, yeah, I can see, but people look like trees walking around, which isn't fully healed. 
Have you noticed? And so then Jesus then puts his hands on him again and prays again and says his eyes were opened. Why did it take two times in this? I have no idea. Scripture doesn't tell us. I think, though, there is something that Jesus was teaching us in that. Sometimes God's healing comes gradually. And don't we see that happening with the disciples? Their eyes were slowly being opened. And for the willing and the faithful, God is consistently there, patient, allowing the eyes to be opened. But for those who will always resist seeing, he's not going to spend his time. In Mark 8, 26, then it says, Jesus, uh, after he healed this guy, he says, don't even go into the village. I think this is hilarious. Because at first when he healed people, he's like, don't tell anybody. How well did that work? So he heals this guy, and he's like, don't even go to the village now, right? Because when people hear about this, all they want is the wrong thing. All they want is the wrong thing. So God did this miracle for this man, not because it would gain him fame or anything else, but because he simply loved the man. Well, after this, Jesus heads up to Caesarea Philippi, one of my favorite places. This is Interior, also known as the Tetrarch of Philip, which is why it's called Caesarea Philippi. If you go over to Israel, there's a couple Caesareas you're going to go to. Why? Because Caesarea is named after Caesar. It's just a fancy way of saying it. Kind of like controversy is another way of saying controversy, right? So you have Caesarea, Caesarea, Caesar's town, and this is the one that was in Philippi. So there you go. And so then he goes up to that. It was a center of pagan worship, and Jesus' day would kind of look like this. Right? You had these temples there, and the main one there was his temple to the god of Pan, right? who was the god of the underworld. And there was behind that, it was built in front of this cave, this grotto, this cave that, that the people believed that's where Pan would go into the underworld. And so it was known as the gates to hell or the gates of Hades. And Jesus is on the outside of this looking down, and he, has, he talks to Peter and the disciples. And this is where we have Peter's confession there at Caesarea Philippi. And while he's out there looking at all these pagan gods and all this worship that's going on, this massive religious complex and, and industry that's happening, and all these, these pagans going and worshiping, spend all this money, it was very impressive, he asked his disciples, because only 12 of them left, right? Everybody else had abandoned him. He says, who do people say I am? And they said, well, one of these prophets, some people might think you're a prophet, some he's a good teacher, right? And Jesus said the most profound question any of us will be asked, who do you say I am? Because they're the ones who spent all this time with him. And then, of course, Peter gives us great things. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, well done, Peter, which means little rock, on this big rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not withstand it. Well, you know something cool? The gates of hell didn't withstand it. That's me standing right in front of it. <laughs> and I don't know if you've noted this, but I'm part of the church. And the gates of hell lie in ruins and under the feet of the church every day of the year. Now, in Jesus' day, that would seem ridiculous because that was a massive religious complex. It would be like us saying, you know, uh, the, the, the Dome of the Rock would be under the foot of church, right? It was just this crazy thought, that, right, that, that this could happen. That you'd go to Mecca and there would be just this massive church and all the worshipers would be there. And the, and the gates of all these false religions won't stand against it. You go to India and all their shrines would be to leveled and we would stand. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? The church is invincible and what is it built upon? The fact that Jesus is God and Messiah. And after the disciples make this confession, which Jesus says actually is from God as well, he goes on and says, now you get to know a little bit more about me. I'm going to reveal him a little bit more about my, myself. And he gives his first passion prophecy. And uh, he says there, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. And after three days, I'm going to be brought back. In fact, he says this, 
And from that time on, it's not like Jesus just said this once. He explained to the disciples he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Like this was, this was important to him. And they, they needed to understand that the Messiah was going to do things that they didn't understand the Messiah was going to do and he was revealing the fact that he was going to act in a little different way than they had expected. But this was all part of the plan and not be freaked out by it. And that someday, even though it looked like they would lose for a moment, the church would overcome even the gates of hell itself. So you don't have to understand it, just trust it. Well, this was a little too much for Peter, who had just had that confession. And he's like, may it never be. This is not going to happen to you, Jesus. Like, I know what the Messiah is going to do. That's not going to happen, right? That's crazy talk. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Right? Don't be my enemy. I'm heading this direction, and I'm, this is where I'm going. You don't want to get in my way. And so after that, Jesus then he teaches. He says, listen. Uh, this is all going to happen, but some of you aren't going to taste death until you see me come into my glory. Well, that happened a week later, where Jesus takes three of the disciples up onto a mountain, right, probably Mount Hermon or something. He goes up to a high mountain, and uh, while he's up there, we see the transfiguration. And the transfiguration is an amazing thing, where Jesus, of course, the disciples were exhausted because they just climbed the mountain. We know what that's like if you've ever climbed a mountain. You get to the top, and you're like, oh, why did I do that, right? And they're with Jesus, and Jesus gets to the mountain, he's up near the top, and he starts praying. And I imagine Jesus did it a lot, because the disciples were like, oh yeah, he's praying again, right? Because it says they were exhausted and they were tired. And as he was praying, it, it says uh, this amazing thing about it. He says he was transfigured before them. His, what does that mean? His face shone like the sun. He started glowing, like really bright. And his clothes became white as the light. He was being revealed in his glory as he really was. And then appeared before him was Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And we find out exactly what they were talking about. They were talking about his crucifixion. Moses and Elijah were interested. In, how are you going to make your exit? Right? How is this going to happen? And they talked about it in detail for a while. And, the, and we have Peter and Andrew and John are sitting there just like slack-jawed. They're like, whoa. I don't know if they had name tags or something, how they knew it was Moses or Elijah. They said, hey, this is a little Moses. And this is I don't know. However it happened, they knew who it was, and they were amazed. And they didn't know what to say. And then finally, Peter, not knowing what to do, you ever had that anxious, awkward, you're the person who says something because you just don't want there to be silence, or you feel like, i got to say something you don't want? That's Peter. Peter's like, it's great for you guys to be here. We'll build your whole houses, right? Which is a natural thing to think. And then... It says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm I well pleased. Listen to him. Just like the baptism. Now, these guys may not have understood Jesus, but they let Jesus reveal who he was, and so they got to see him in his glory. And after that, they walked down from the mountain, and, and they were wondering over these things, and Jesus said, don't talk about this until this is the right time, until after the resurrection. But after the resurrection, then it made sense to them. What they got to see is that sometimes God doesn't look like he's coming through for us, but it doesn't mean he's literally not going to come through. Jesus is not just a spiritualized savior. He is a real savior God who came and put on real flesh and makes a real difference, and he's coming back, and we, they saw him in his glory. So what are the lessons we gain from today? First one, let feet Jesus feed your spirit, right? Don't spoil yourself on, on the appetizers. Don't spoil your dinner. Don't get so caught up like so many had in Jesus' ministry in Galilee, that you, you seek the miracle, right? You seek God's provision so much that you don't seek God. Right? We, we ask God, would you heal me? 
Would you take care of my financial needs? Will you fix this problem relationally? Lord, would you take care of my car or my neighbor or whatever the problem is? And it's not as though God's provision is enough. Remember, there were 12 baskets full. God's provision is enough. Jesus gave, he said, listen, if you seek me above everything else, I'm going to meet those needs. Yes, but don't seek those needs any longer. Right? There's something so much greater. We need to feed our soul on Christ. We need to seek him as the God who can give us eternal life and abundant life. The God who can restore us from the inside out. The God who doesn't just teach us how to live better, but the God who rewrites us from the inside. As Christians, if we spend all of our time just talking to God and worrying about these little things on the outside, we neglect the fact we, we've missed the message and, and the, the whole meaning of the loaves and the fishes. God's got you. You have to understand this deeply, profoundly. You are within that seven. God's, he, he is in this world and he's working in you and through you. He has you. He has you. So go to him with your needs, but don't stop there. Know Christ. Get to know him. Get to love him. Jesus alone is the bread of life. The second thing I think we have to do is let knowing Jesus then be my aim. Not just about him. Doctrine and theology should not be our end. It should be a, a way to the end, and the end should be to know God as he really is. To know him. There is not a Bible entrance exam when you get to heaven. Right? There's not a little test that says, you know, all the books and all those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But what the test is, is, do you know Jesus? If you study the word, study it so you can see God as he is. Get to know him. Invite him into your life. It's the most important thing. So treat Christ as God. Treat the Holy Spirit as God, not your personal genie. Not the one who's just your little sugar daddy who's going to give you whatever you want in this life. That's not what it's about. Get to know him, his heart. His passions, what he loves, right? This, this is the greatest call of any humanity, right? This is what we are made for. So get to know who he is. Can you be like the 4,000 who would spend three days without food just so you would have the privilege of sitting at his feet? This is God we're talking about who became human for us. I know a lot of people think I'll believe in God when he gives me one more sign or when he starts making sense to me. He doesn't owe you any more signs. He came to this earth. He did all these things publicly. He had them written down in a very verifiable book. He rose from the dead after three days. He sent you his Holy Spirit. He doesn't owe us any more signs. Can you come to him and say, Lord, you've proven yourself enough. What will you have for me? How can I get to know you? Last thing, let Jesus reveal himself. This was a problem with so many, and even well, all of us. We have vision problems as, as humans. We all have these glasses and these lenses that we put on that keep us from seeing Jesus as he is because we have this idea of how the Messiah is supposed to work. Don't we? All of us do. We all have these little boxes that we try to contain Jesus into and God into so they'll fit into our brain so we can understand him and how he's going to work. But God is infinite. He's not going to fit into your box. It's not going to happen. 
He's going to do crazy things, like someday he's going to send you on the water and then come out walking on top of it and have you land in the exact opposite direction you thought he was sending you. In fact, he did send you. You're like, God, what are you doing? You need to trust him. That God is going to reveal himself in your life exactly how he needs to. And how has he done that? Most profoundly in the word. I think we got to come to it and say, Lord, who are you? Not who do other people say you are, but who do you say you are, God? What is important to him? Because it's not going to be the same things that are naturally just important to you. Who is he? Get to know him. And as you do that, he'll reveal himself. Sometimes he'll reveal himself in ways you'll be like, I don't understand you, and you'll have that choice like all of the people. I don't understand you, so I'm not going to believe. And a lot of people have fallen prey to that. But I encourage you. Just because you don't understand God doesn't mean he's not God. In fact, it proves that he is. It means he's bigger than your brain. So you go with your doubts and you say, but I still trust you. I'm still going to follow you like Peter. Who else am I going to turn to anyhow? Who has the word of life? So let Jesus reveal himself. If you see him in this and you follow him, then you'll let him reveal himself in his glory. And he does that. So how do you apply all this in your life? Here are some things you can do. It's on your connection card, that wonderful green card that I always forget to tell you to fill out. Please fill that out so I know you're here so I can pray for you. Since you have that out now and you're filling it out, on the back side of it are some next steps. And the first one is memorize Matthew 16, 24. You want to follow this Jesus? Here are his terms. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow him. Right? The, the simple three steps. Profound three steps. Memorize that, meditate on it, think about it. How does it apply? Also, would you read the scripture? I was like a stone skipping across the water today. I covered a lot. So would you uh, read it yourself? Because there's a whole lot more in there. So Matthew 14 through 17 should get you through most of the things that, that we covered today. Uh, that will be good. Next, I'm going to have you examine your box. What I mean by that is you have a box you're trying to fit God into. We all do. It's just by nature. We, we try to fit everything into our heads. There are parts of your box probably are legitimate. There are other parts that are probably there that aren't. I would have you take some time this week and to examine what is it that I think about Jesus and why do I think that? How do I think God should work and why do I think God should work this way? Right? And what a part of that box are you allowing God to blow up? Take some time to examine the rules that you're setting around God, that you're telling God he's got to abide by, and ask yourself, are these God's rules or mine? The last thing I'm going to ask you to do is fast for 12. That's not 12 days or 12 months, <laughs> just 12 hours. I know fasting is new for a lot of people, but we want to feed ourselves on the Spirit, and that's what fasting is all about. And if you would like to do that, I need your email address, and I'd like us to fast if we can on this Wednesday just 12 hours, so it'd be sun up to sundown, basically, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., right? But you go through, and, and in order to make a fast, it's, it's how you do it. It's an it's a issue of not just starving the body, but feeding the soul. Both have to be in there. And if you'd like some guidance in that, and if you've never fasted before, 12 hours is, I know, a lot, but if people could spend three days doing it, would you join me this, this Wednesday and fast for 12? If you want to do that, give me your email address, so I'm going to send you some instructions, and I'll send those out on Monday, all right? Okay, so hopefully we have something for everybody, a next step for us all to get to grow closer to Christ in this. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and as uh, I do that, please uh, join me in the prayer of commitment as we set these commitments we've just made, uh, lay them before God, our Father. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that you sent us the bread of life. You didn't starve our souls. You meet all of our needs, that uh, all of creation and all of your people are fully under your provision. Lord, that you have given grace to all, Jews and Gentiles and everybody. 
but you do ask that we would come to you with a willingness to learn, that we would have a humility to allow you to reveal yourself to us. So God, we're going to invite you to do that very thing in our hearts and lives this week. Lord, we make commitments today to memorize your scripture, to read your word, Father, to examine our belief systems, Father, to take time and to fast and to seek you, Lord. In all of these, I pray that you would reveal yourself, that you would show up, and that we wouldn't just have a miracle, God. We would pray that you would just reveal yourself. We just want to know you so that we can follow you better. Lord, we lift this to you, our commitments, our prayer requests, and our offerings, everything that we have, a sign of our worship as we center our lives on you, for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.